0: Well, good morning. I'd like to start our time together reminding us of our vision as a church body, and that is to develop followers of Jesus Christ in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, in the greater Pittsburgh area, and throughout the world. And that vision is the same regardless of what campus you go to, whether it's Rostraver or Robinson, Wilkinsburg, Washington, or Berry, Florida. It's all the same. And regardless of what ministry that you're involved in. And we love the word develop because it has two meanings to it. The first meaning of develop means to bring into reality. So from our point of view, that is evangelism, telling people about Jesus. And for those that have a relationship with Christ, the word develop means to to make stronger discipleship. And so regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, we want you to be able to walk alongside you to take a step closer to a relationship with Jesus or a step further in your relationship with Jesus. And we believe that a growing believer in Jesus Christ are practicing five key things in their walk. We call them the five essentials. Word, worship, connect, serve, and share. We've got to be in the Word, right? We feed ourselves with Uh, From a physical standpoint, we have to feed ourselves with God's word to make ourselves stronger. We have to worship, not just on Sunday morning, wherever we are, but in all areas in our life, uh, we we worship God with everything. We've got to be connected, right? The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. We've got to be in biblical community with each other, supporting one another, challenging one another. We have to serve, right? God's given us gifts, and we've got to use those gifts to serve him and to serve other people. And then lastly, share. We've got to be so excited about what Jesus is doing in our lives, we can't help but to tell people about him and the work he's doing in our lives. Now, some of you may be new to the church, maybe your very first time Um, For others, you maybe aren't growing in one or any of these areas, and I'm going to challenge you to simply take one step. Those steps are laid out for you in your bulletin, They're on our website. There are three options for you. One, if you're new to the church, we invite you to a connect class here in the South Hills. It happens at 9 o'clock, the first three Sundays of the month. Come find out about who we are and why we believe what we believe. At the campuses, the campus pastors would love to meet with you individually to share those things with you. Uh, you could take a step towards understanding more about the foundational elements of the Christian faith and that's through our um, discipleship material, living grounded to understand why you believe what you believe. And then lastly, a great way to, to get plugged into the church and to meet people or using your gifts. There are many opportunities to serve without, inside the church without being a member and it's a great way to serve others and to meet other people in that process. Right, the ball's in your court. We're laying those out for you. So I encourage you to take those steps and, and, and be the man and woman that God's created you to be. Amen? All right, let's, um, as we kick off the sermon series, 40 Days to Eternity, um, we're going to be studying these, these really cool appearances that Jesus makes. But before we do that, let's just stop, let's calm our hearts, and ask God to lead us this morning. Dear Father, we do thank you for loving us. And as, as Ted, prayed. Father, we ask you to open the eyes of our heart, to speak to us as individuals, to put everything aside, and to speak to us one-on-one this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Now turn our attention to it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so as Christians, we do a pretty awesome job of celebrating Christmas, don't we? We go all out, right? We, we celebrate the, the miraculous virgin birth and why Jesus came to, to conquer sin and to walk this earth as a human. We do an equally as good job, we did two weeks ago celebrating Easter, right? That we, we pull out all the stops and we celebrate the fact that Jesus did do what he said he was going to do, where he defeated sin, where he was crucified, and he rose from the dead. But what's important in this is we got to recognize that Jesus' story and Jesus' work doesn't end there. See, Jesus would go on after those 40 days, and he would ascend into heaven, and it is there that he sits today rolling over the affairs of this world, and it is from there that he will return and roll again. Now that, I would argue, is worth celebrating at least as much and I would argue even more than Easter. You know why? Because that is what separates Christians, what separates our belief from every other religious system and religious belief in the world that we celebrate a living Savior. We celebrate a living Savior. And that gives us reason to celebrate. We think about the the, the virgin birth was certainly miraculous. And the, the crucifixion was atoning. And the resurrection was victorious. But the ascension... The ascension is eternity changing. And that is what we are going to study and celebrate over the next four weeks. Now to help us in that process, we've laid out everything in this book for you. You're used to getting your sermon notes in the bulletin. Well, all the sermon notes for the next four weeks are in this book. So we're going to challenge you to bring it back with you. And there's all sorts of information in here that will guide you through the series. And hopefully this will become a resource to you as you learn more and grow closer to Jesus in your walk. So to start on this journey with him, we gonna, we're going to leave off on where we did in Easter. So if you open this up, to the, uh, there's a timeline in here on page 3. So the very first appearance that Jesus made was covered at Easter, right? Jesus was crucified, he died, they buried him and then Mary Magdalene went to the tomb to to anoint his body. When she got there, the body was gone. She ran, told some people, Peter and John came back with her to the tomb. Right? They, they saw that the tomb was empty. They went back home, and Mary Magdalene was left there. Overcome by grief, she starts to cry. She starts to sob. And Jesus shows up in the form of a gardener and asks her why she is crying, right, to prove to her that he indeed was risen from the dead. Now, Jesus, if you look at this timeline, would go on to make five appearances on that resurrection Sunday. The second one was with um, uh, Mary Magdalene again, but she's not by herself this time. She's with some other people. The first person she is with is with the other Mary. Now, I want to make a note here. We made a mistake in your book on page 5. The other Mary and Salome. we switched the description. The other Mary was Jesus' mother. It was Jesus' and James' mother. Salome was with them, and Salome was the mother of John and the other James, the other two other disciples. Then you have here Joanna. Joanna's with them, and Joanna was married to an important person who served on a staff of Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was the Roman ruler that was placed over Galilee. And there was another woman with them. Then Jesus would go on to show himself to Peter, and that brings us to the fourth appearance on Resurrection Sunday, where Jesus intercepts two guys walking down the road. Now this account about Jesus' interaction with these two guys is one of the most compelling, one of the most vivid accounts of his post-resurrection appearances. Some believe, and it's only captured in the book of Luke, some believe that Luke is actually the the other person which is unnamed in here, and that would account for all the detail that's here. We can't be dogmatic about that. We don't know it for sure, but certainly some of the evidence seems to point that way. So we're going to follow this journey. So take your Bibles and open them up to Luke chapter 24. Now I want to make a point as you do this. This journey that these two guys are on is certainly a, 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 a literal, physical journey, right? They're walking down the road. They're going to walk seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. But what I'm going to share with you is I believe that this literal, physical journey also outlines for us our spiritual journey as we lot walk along with Jesus. And as we go through this, I'm gonna make five key observations or points that impact the way that we should live our lives today. All right, so take your Bibles, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 16. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 16. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So in the seven-mile journey to Emmaus, these two followers are walking along side-by-side talking. And it says that they are talking about these things. So what are these things? These things are the events that just took place for the last three days. Jesus' betrayal, his mocking him, the, the, the beating. The suffering, the crucifixion, the death, the burial. And as they walk in this despair, this delusionment of what's going on, Jesus walks alongside of them, but it says what? They don't recognize him. Now, it's not because he's a stranger. They knew who he was. They were his followers. Scripture says their eyes were kept from recognizing him, right? It was God's desire to do that. So what's interesting is we study these, these appearances that Jesus makes over these 40 days. We'll, we will see that he will show up in different forms, right? The scripture actually says that he manifests himself. And he does it differently depending on what the situation is. So let me give you some examples. So when you go back to the first appearance, he showed up in a human form as a gardener to show Mary that indeed he was alive, that he was risen from the dead in human form, just as he said he was going to. You look at one of the other appearances, It says that Jesus passed through the door as a spirit. Later, we'll see, and actually several of these, that he will interact with them over a meal, right? He will eat with them, clearly again showing that he is in human bodily form. So, when he shows up in a human bodily form, he's there to answer the question, right? I'm here, I'm back, and I'm resurrected. But that's not his purpose in this interaction, right? Because when he shows up, he has to answer the question, how? Jesus, how did you do that? Here, as these two guys walk and talk about why did Jesus have to do this? Why did he suffer? Why did this all go along? Jesus comes along next to them as a, as a naive um, a stranger walking along the side of them to give them a chance to process, to give them a chance to talk, to give them a chance to verbalize what had happened over those last three days. And then we're going to see throughout this journey that Jesus gradually reveals himself to them as they go through this physical journey the same way that Jesus does to us on our spiritual journey journey all right so that's kind of the context that's the background that sets everything up let's look at now verses 17 to 18 and he said to them jesus says right what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walked and they stood still looking sad Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So the question from the stranger, what did it do? First thing it did is it stopped them dead in their tracks. They were walking, stopped them dead in their tracks. And their first response isn't verbal. What is it? It's the decontinent on their face. They look sad, showing the despair and the dismay about what was going on. And then they look at Jesus, not recognize him, and say, dude, are you serious? What rock do you live under? There's no way that you can be from around here and not know what has transpired to Jesus over these last three days. And look how Jesus responds in the first part of verse 19. He says, and he said to them, what things? (laughs) Can you imagine the look on their face? But I love this, right? Because Jesus doesn't answer for them. Jesus wants to hear them talk. Jesus wants to hear them process. Jesus wants to hear what's on their heart. So tell me about these things that are, that are so troubling to you that you're talking about them so intently on this journey back. And then we look at this and we see in verse 19, second part of 19 through 21, look how they respond to him. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and how our chief priest and ruler delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all of this, it is now the third day since these Things had happened. So notice in that passage, first, that they don't blame the Romans for what happened. They blame their own people. They blame the chief priest. They blame the rulers on what happened to Jesus. And then he said, we had hoped. Past tense. We had hope, but now that hope is gone. And what was their hope? That he would indeed be the one that would what? Redeem Israel. So they're clearly thinking here, not spiritual redemption, they're thinking political redemption. They expected the Messiah to come back. To rescue them from the oppressive Romans in the situation that they were in. Kind of like a second exodus, right? The way that Moses rescued the Israelites from the Egyptians. So they were thinking from an earthly perspective. And they lost hope. Thinking about, they're looking at Jesus in the eyes. He's saying, I lost hope. And they look around at the the evidence that's around them and say, no, he lost hope. It's the third day. He's nowhere to be found. How can a dead ruler, how can a dead king rescue us from the Romans? And they don't stop there. They dig their hole deeper. Look at verses 22-22. The 24 said, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said But him, they did not see. So not only did they lose hope, they lost faith. They had first-hand eyewitness accounts. They had the truth of Scripture, the promises of Jesus. But they lost faith that he was there because they didn't see him with their own eyes. See, the weight of the circumstance, the weight of what was going on around them, the physical evidence immediately surrounding them in their lives stopped them from recognizing Jesus. They lost hope and they lost faith. So let's pause for a second. Have you ever been there on your spiritual journey To a you got to a place where the physical evidence in your life that surrounds you, you start to lose hope and you start to lose faith. You look around and say, God, you've remembered that I'm here. This isn't what I had hoped for myself. This isn't what I hoped for my life, this isn't the plan I had for myself, and Jesus, I don't recognize you in this. For some of of you, you may have lost a loved one, you didn't have a plan of doing the rest of your life alone. Or maybe you lost your job, and the the financial pressures are, 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 are crushing, and say, God, I had this all planned out for me. Where are you? In this. Maybe, maybe a, a failed relationship, a, an unfaithful spouse, or a friend that turned their back on you. You're saying, God, where are you in this? The physical evidence is too much for me to handle. I feel alone in this. Or a health report that came back that wasn't exactly the results that you wanted. see you, Jesus. But regardless of where you are, if you find yourself on this spot in your spiritual journey, here's what we can learn. My first of the points is that whether you recognize it or not, Jesus walks with us in all circumstances of life. Regardless of where you are, no matter how dire it may seem, Jesus is walking alongside you. Just as God promised Joshua as he entered into the promised land, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That promise is true with us today. So after Jesus heard from these two, the lack of faith, the lack of hope. It's Jesus' time to speak. And you can only imagine what he has to say. Let's look there next. Verses 25 and 26. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He cuts them straight to the heart. How could you not believe How could you lose hope? The prophets have spoken about these things long before I ever came. How could you do that, O ye of little faith? And you can imagine their response. Jesus is kind of walking alongside of them, chiding them for their lack of faith, their lack of hope. Kind of those words. Can you imagine calling them being called to the mat by Jesus? You think those words would sting a little bit? Well, how about you on your spiritual journey? Do you ever get to that place on your spiritual journey when, when you're feeling sorry for yourself, you're kind of looking around, throwing a little pity party about your circumstances, don't understand where God is, and all of a sudden, uh, you get this conviction in your heart. That God says, You don't trust me? You don't believe my promises? I'm here. Or God sends maybe somebody in your life, a friend or a family member, and speaks truth into you. You're like, Ooh, that came from God. It right? cuts you to the core. See, Jesus is in the business of getting our attention, and that's my second point, is Jesus walks alongside of us. He convicts us in our unbelief and our lack of faith. See, for these guys, they were struggling, right? They wanted to know why did this happen to Jesus? Why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to go through this? The issue is they had the answers. It was in scripture. Their problem was they didn't believe them. And see, the same is true with us. We not only have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament also, right? And his promises are real and they're his teaching and he promises us as a believer, as a follower of mine, you are going to suffer trials. But I also promise you this that I will give you everything you need to get through those trials. And Romans 8:28, I will use all of it for your good. See, we lose sight of that promise. They become, they become words on a page at difficult times. They turn, from, they turn from hope. They turn from faith. They turn from reliability. They turn from, from a promise to words on a page. And this is what happened to these two guys. And so what does Jesus do? He takes them back to his word. Look at verse 27. In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That gives me chills. One sentence, the best Bible study ever led by the greatest teacher ever. Now we don't know what he did, what scripture he used. It says all. But but let's pretend. Think about some of the scripture that he would have shared with these two that didn't recognize him. How about how about how about Genesis 3:15? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring; he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is why I came, right? To conquer sin. Deuteronomy 18:15, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen." Hey guys, it's me. Isaiah seven fourteen. therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Hey guys, you remember my mom, Mary, the scandal, the virgin birth, Emmanuel, God with us, that's me. I'm here. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquitted with grief, and as one whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Guys, remember, I didn't win any popularity contest amongst the Jewish people. They tried to throw me over a cliff. Isaiah 53.7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Did you see how I responded over the past weekend when they took and crucified me? And in Zechariah 12, 10, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on on him whom they have pierced they shall mourn for him as one mourns for only an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn Hey aren't you guys mourning now That truth is here You have the answers to the questions that you're seeking and it's undoubtedly that Jesus walked them through his word, reminding them on, on who he was, why he came, why he had to suffer. And not only grounding them in that, those facts, but also giving them hope and giving them faith that he would come back and rule again. See, he took them back to his word to ground them. And that's my fourth, third point is that real hope and strengthened faith comes from understanding God's word. Guys, this is what guides us through life in living in disappointment. That we know God's promises no matter what we're facing in life. That he's reliable. That he is faithful. That he will be with us in good times, in bad times. And that we have a home in heaven. But everything that we need in the meantime to navigate this broken and fallen world is right here. This is where we find hope. This is where we find faith, in God's He not only uses his word to open up the eyes of those that don't know him, but he uses his word to guide us through every obstacle of our life. Amen? Let's continue on his journey. Verse 28 to 31. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. Right? It's late at night. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And here we go. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. It's amazing that only after spending time in God's word and only after an intimate time of fellowship, being with him, breaking bread with him, did Jesus reveal himself to them. See, it's in this fellowship with Jesus, this intimate relationship, this this time of prayer to sit quietly under him, to let him speak to our heart, for us to pour out our troubles to him, It is in those times that Jesus reveals himself to us. And the more time we spend and the more intimate we are with him, the more that he reveals. That he continues to show us that his provision's enough, that his protection is adequate, that he is faithful never forsaking us, using all these circumstances in our life for our good. And the more time we spend with him, the eyes are wider open. That's the promise of his word. That's my fourth point. It's in this intimacy of fellowship that Jesus reveals himself to us. And how do these guys respond to that revelation on who he is? Let's finish this up together. They said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. See, Jesus disappeared. And so what had to happen, right, is their relationship and this fellowship with him could not be eye to eye anymore. It had to be heart to heart. That this fellowship, that this community was going to happen between this belief and hope that's here in this connection with them. And they were so blown away by what happened. What did they do that very hour late at night? They got up so excited, they went seven miles back to Jerusalem. They were so compelled, fifth point, Jesus compels us to share about him. Their hearts burned. They were on fire on who Jesus was, the promise that he made, that he was alive as he is today, that they had to run seven miles in the middle of the night to tell people about it. And guys, we have to be the same way we have to be so blown away by what God is doing in our lives that we can't help but to tell other people about it. How he got us through that difficult time, how we have hope and faith despite the challenges that we have, despite the broken relationships, despite the, the, the lost job, despite the plan for your life being thrown out the window. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is by my side. He will not forsake me and I want everybody to know about it. On fire, our hearts burning with the truth of Jesus' promise in our life. That's what we're called to do. So as we get set... For communion I'm going to throw this to the other campuses and let you guys close but for us here I want to challenge you we're going to put this thing a summary up on the screen where are you in your spiritual journey are you are you challenged by your circumstances right now don't see or recognize Jesus in the middle of them Use his time to have him open your eyes to acknowledge and to see him. Maybe you're being convicted. Maybe this message is convicting you of your lack of faith in your lost hope. Maybe you're being called into his word to seek the truth, to seek the source of the promise and hope found only in God's word. Maybe right now you're in a season of life where you are just captivated in this fellowship with Him. And if you are, thank Him for that. Sit in that, soak in that, and love it. But don't stop there, be compelled to share. And if you're in that season and you can't help but to tell people, praise God and tell them to continue to put people in your heart to share with. If you're not a believer, I'm gonna challenge you that you're somewhere on this journey as well. Maybe at that first step, challenged by your circumstances. Right, that you kind of look around your life and the trail of mess that's been made Fill in your life with empty stuff like jobs and relationships and cars and houses and income and savings accounts and you're still left with this emptiness inside of your heart. My prayer is today that you make it to the second step on here that God convicts you of your unbelief because he so desperately wants to have a relationship with you.